ourselves as believers. We've talked about um, how we are to um, respond and how we're to behave in the community, in the workplace, in our families. And now in here, and this revolves around our relationships. Peter tells us that we can't honor Christ in this church and not be right with each other. Now listen to me. I grew up in an independent fundamental church. It was a great church. But in the independent fundamental Baptist movement, somehow, some way, they become, became very militant, which they would perceive that it, all preaching you had to really cut people down and you had to be mean and rude or you weren't preaching. Now, not all of them, but that was pervasive. And they all tried to outdo each other on who could be the boldest and who could be the most angry and who could be the most, I guess, crude. And we see something totally different in the Scriptures about what God says we're to be. We're to love one another. We are to picture We are to picture Jesus Christ to the world. And there are churches all over the land that have split two and three times and churches off of churches churches over insignificant things that should not have happened. I know we're human and I know we do fleshly things. But the truth of the matter is we cannot claim that we are honoring Christ and hate our brothers and sisters. You cannot do that. And the Bible is clear about it. Again, you might be theologically sound. You might be standing against sin and against evil and still not be right with God because you hate your brother and your sister. So... Peter winds down this section and he says this finally. It almost like a preacher, right? Finally. And then he keeps on preaching. This is not the end of the book. This is the end of the thought of honoring Christ as believers. We as believers. Honoring Christ in the community, in the workplace, in the home. And he says, finally, verse 8. All of you. He's not talking to husbands and and, and, or, or just husbands or just wives right now. He's not just talking to employees. He's not just talking about citizens. He's talking about all of us. He says, all of you. Number one, be of one mind. There are five characteristics he lists in this passage of Scripture that ought to be evident amongst us as believers in Jesus Christ. Five of them. The first one he says is be of one mind. What mind... Does he want us to be unified around? What mind does he want us to have oneness about? There's only one mind in scriptures that we're exhorted to have. And that is the mind of Jesus. The mind of Christ. If you allow me, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. You all are familiar with the passage, you know it. But sometimes we still need to read it. Not just hear it read, but we need to read it ourselves and see what the Bible tells us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now what is the context of this passage? 
Well, the context of this passage is given to us in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So the whole context of this passage that we're talking about is looking out for others' interests, not just your own, not being self-centered, not just thinking about you. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now notice what he says here in verse 6. For who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but look at verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. This is what Jesus did. Because of the mind of Christ, Jesus, first of all, made himself of no reputation. Secondly, taking on the form of a bondservant. That word bondservant, doulos in the Greek, it means slave. So he took on the form of being a slave. We're talking about the God in flesh, God incarnate, Jesus. He is the Son of God, the one who was active in creating our world. He made himself of no reputation. He took on himself the form of a slave. He came in the likeness of men, verse 7. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. So let me just summarize. He made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a slave. He came in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. And the mind that you and I are to have, the mind of Christ, is that of a humble, obedient servant. That's it. We should not have the mind that we're better than anyone, that we're smarter than anyone, we think we know more than anyone. That is rubbish. We should have the mind of Christ, and as a believer, group of believers, we should rally around that one mind, having the mind of Christ. I, uh, we, there's so much going on in Christianity today. So much going on. There are so many different factions and so many things that, that, that people are taking latch onto and they're saying the church needs to do this or the church needs to do that. If we did that, they do this at their church and it's successful. If we did it at our church, we would be successful. Listen to me. That's great. But Peter says there's something more than all that stuff we do. It's who we are. Who we are matters to Jesus Christ. And we will never be all that He wants us to be if we do not have the mind of Christ. Matter of fact, the problem is in our land today, we don't have the mind of Christ. We have our own minds and we think for ourselves, which is dangerous. People ask me, sometimes they say, what do you, what do you think about that? And I said, and I'm, they think I'm joking, but I'm telling the truth. I try not to think like that because if I think, things bad happen. Now, I'm not advocating you don't think things through, but I need to have a thinking mind that thinks biblically, not humanly. Can't you see all of our problems stem from our flesh? All of our problems stem from the flesh. So we're to have one mind. Secondly, we are to have compassion for one another. This word sympathy is literal interpretation, sympathy. Sympathes is the Greek word where we get our word sympathy from. Sympathy means suffering or feeling the like with another. You know what I've discovered in the years that I've been in ministry? I've discovered this. Many times people are going through things of which we know not. 
We know nothing about it. They're struggling. They've got issues and we don't know. And we need to be sympathetic to what our brothers and sisters are going through. But now let me just say this, a big but here. But we must remember when we're going through something that others are going through something also. And because I'm going through something does not give me the right to not have compassion for someone else. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God gives us comfort so that we can in turn give the comfort that we've been comforted with to others. I cannot make anyone in this room have compassion for someone else. But I can make myself with the power of the Holy Spirit line up with the Scriptures and I can have compassion on everyone in this room. You can't control how people respond to you or what people do to you, but you can control what you do and what you allow in your mind. We're to have compassion one for another. I remember I was talking to a fellow, this has been years ago. He said, Preacher, I want to just be honest with you. He said, I have more, I get more compassion from my buddies at the local bar than I do from the church. That is sad. That is sad. And we're training people to be narcissists. We're training people to only think about themselves. We're training people to get for all you can get, can it, keep it, love it, and don't share it with anyone else. And the Bible tells us to do something totally different. It says what God gives us, we give other people. Did God give us compassion? Yes, He gave us compassion. Does God continue to give us compassion? Yes, He continues to give us compassion. We should do that. We should have compassion for others. Number three, we should love as brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot be honoring Christ in here and hate our brothers and sisters. Now, the definition of Bible hate and our definition of hate is two diametrically opposed ideas or thoughts. Do you know what the word hate means in the Bible? It means the absence of love. It doesn't mean that I look at someone with, the, with uh, contempt and say, Oh, I can't stand that person. I hate that person. I hope they die. No, that's not what the Bible terms hatred. You know what the Bible terms hatred? The absence of love. Now, do you know what else the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21? The Bible tells us this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Now, I want you to put this. If I say that I love God and I have an absence of love for my brother, I'm a liar. Now, preacher, you're meddling now. You're getting personal. I'm not getting personal. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God in whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment. Emphasis on commandment. We have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Period. Preacher, you don't understand. 
This person gets on my last nerve. If Jesus is okay with it, I'm okay with it. Tell it to Jesus. Because he's going to tell you that he has commanded you to love one another. I think I've been attacked by a bug. To love one another. He's going to tell you that. Why? Because it's the commandment we have from Him. Love one another. Now, I know that I, like most everyone in this room, we are not always so lovable. Does that change the command? Does God say, love your brother and sister in Christ when they are lovable? Help me out, church. You're all scaring me. Best sleeping hour is 10.30 on Sunday morning. I'm just kidding. Love one another. Notice what else he says. Tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. Don't do tender-heartedness. Be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. Ephesians 4.32 tells us this. This is a great... Oh, that's 5. Go to 4.32. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the connection here. Christ forgave us because He's tender-hearted. If Christ were hard-hearted towards us, He may not have saved us but He's tender-hearted towards us. A lot of forgiveness doesn't happen in churches because of hard-heartedness. You'll never hear the Bible anywhere talking in a positive manner about someone that's hard-hearted. As a matter of fact, the children of Israel wandered for 40 years because of their hard-heartedness. To be hard-hearted means that you're not soft and tender towards someone or something. Hard-hearted is the enemy of love and compassion. Hard-heartedness is the enemy of our relationships in Christ that we should be. Number five, he says, be courteous. The word courteous means friendly or kind. Being a Christian doesn't give you the license or right to be a jerk. Being a jerk is not the fruit of the Spirit. Being a jerk is not a spiritual gift. Being a jerk is sin. And some Christians have it in their mind that they're not spiritual unless they're a jerk putting everybody in their place. Be courteous, the Scripture says. This is who you and I are to be. We are to be friendly. We are to be kind. That's who we are. These are the characteristics. Now he's going to give us a couple of practical illustrations of these five characteristics listed above. Notice verse 9. Not returning evil for evil. Evil has to do with our conduct. So someone does something bad to you, that doesn't give you the right to do something bad to them. But you say, wait a minute, preacher, I have to protect myself. If I don't protect myself, no one else will. That's wrong. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay thee, says the Lord. Vengeance is not ours. 
When you cross over from being having evil done against you to doing evil to someone else, you have sinned. And you will be accountable irregardless of what they have done for you to you because they will be accountable to what they have done to you. Evil. Don't return evil for evil. I tell you what, so and so did this to I'll tell you what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna punch him right in the nose. It's not Christ like. It's not Christ like. And I will tell you that I have struggled because I I was a hothead. I perhaps still am a hothead. I don't want to be. But I look at this and I see this that I cannot, I cannot return evil. For evil. Listen to this. Proverbs 17, 13 says this. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. If you reciprocate with evil, the Bible says that evil will not depart from your house. Do you want to know why we have so many miserable Christians? I'll tell you why. Because we don't come to Peter and we don't work on our being, being right with God, being right with each other. We're more interested in taking our own way and making sure that no one offends me and I'm going to take care of my own character and I'm going to stand ground for me and I'm going to stand up for me because no one else is going to stand up for me. Rubbish. You go ahead and be miserable. You go ahead and reciprocate with evil, and if you give evil, evil will not depart from your house. The older you get, the more you find out that sleeping is a a privilege. Am I telling the truth, guys? As you get older, you know, Keith Matheny says he can sleep anywhere and anytime except at night in bed. You think about that, that's the truth. Many of us are lying in bed at 2, 2 o'clock in the morning thinking, why can't I sleep? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? As we get older, we don't need things that keep us awake. We need things that relax us. And we need the peace of God that passes all understanding. We need to lay our head on the pillow and know and we're right with God. Knowing, and that's not always the reason why you can't sleep. There are physical issues and, and there are some things bouncing around up here that won't let us sleep. But we don't need to add to the problem. By having evil in our house, right? Secondly, he says, not reviling for reviling. That has to do with speech. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let me repeat that. Slow down a little bit. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I was at the Abundant Life Baptist Church one time and we were having a special day, a men's day. We had special speakers coming in and I was trying to make sure that everything was, uh, everything was taken care of. And I said a harsh word to someone. And then I thought about it and I thought, maybe I did. So I went and asked Keith. I said, Keith, did I, did I, did I say something harsh? And I don't even remember what the word was. He said, yeah, yeah, you did. It was really uncalled for and it was harsh. You need a friend like that, by the way. You don't need a friend that takes you aside. You need a friend that tells you the truth. And I said, man, so I went to this person, and I said, man, I've I, I blown it. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not justifying my behavior. I, I just, I was wrong. 
And he gave me a hug. And Keith Matheny took me aside later and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I'm not, I am not surprised that you said that. He said, but I am more, I am more grateful of what you did after you messed up. I had no clue. I was feeling terrible because I did that. And my wife will tell you, if I feel like I said something, sometimes I joke and I go too far with my jokes. And I asked my wife, I said, man, did, did I, I, I probably shouldn't have said that. Oh, they, it was just a joke, I know, but then I'll lay there. And I, I've called some of you and said, man, I was, just, I, I, don't, I was joking, I'm sorry. Guys, listen, I know the depths of this and the gravity of this. And it's not that we don't mess up, it's what we do when we mess up. If you're a person of Christ and you've never had to go and apologize to someone, I wonder if you're really following Christ the way you should. Because it's not a matter of if, of if we're going to offend someone or mess up. It's, it's a matter of when. Sometimes in my mind I'm thinking, and by the way, let me just put a little footnote here. Just because something comes through your mind doesn't mean you have to say it. Can I repeat that? Would someone please say amen? Just because something comes to your mind doesn't mean you need to say it. But, but listen to me. There are times when you might be going through something and nobody knows it. And someone comes to you because they're going through something and they say something to you and you respond in harsh anger, in rudeness, you have not helped the cause. You haven't. And someone has said, sticks and stones may make, break my bones, but words could never hurt me. They are a liar who says that. Because more damage has been done with sticks and stones, or more damage has been done, you know what I'm trying to say, more damage has been done by what you say than sticks or stones combined. And the funny thing is, is once you open your mouth and let it out, you can't pull it back in. There was an old preacher, B.R. Lakin. B.R. Lakin was whew, West Virginia preacher. Then he passed, pastored the Katy Tabernacle. And he was one of those old preachers when he was, could say anything and get away with it. I'm not saying this. But one time there was a lady in his church that she just cut down everybody. And she came to him. Here I am talking about soft answers. She came to him and she said, Preacher, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. And he said, Lady, that altar is not big enough for your tongue. I wouldn't do that. But a soft answer turns away wrath. It would do us some good to write some of these verses down on cards, index cards, and put them in our pocket. Instead of surfing the internet, we should probably be looking at these things when we're waiting at the doctor's office or sitting in traffic. How many of you had to wait at a red light because someone's on their phone? We can't set a red light anymore without being on our phone, and you have to honk, and then they're mad at you because you honk. I, I honked gently in love. It wasn't a rude honk, you know what I mean? It was like, beep, just letting you know, beep, beep, you know what, beep, you know. Someone asked me a question one time. I'm not a real good texter. Are you with me? Anybody else with me? People are texting me and I got four texts. I'm like, dude, I'm still answering the first text. Hold on, chill out. Give me a second. And um, 
So I answer no. They ask me a question, I answer no. Are you okay? Did I do something to offend you? No, why? Well, no was so negative. I just said no. I mean, I don't know this texting things today. But listen, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Stirs up anger. You can stop it. You can nip it in the bud. When someone comes to you and they unleash the hounds of all their anger on you, I'm sorry. You can stop it. A soft answer can kill it. Hey, let's pray for that person. That'll stop it. But if you stir up that anger and you start bringing people into that anger, everyone in the house is going to smell it. I'm not using my illustration because it's crude. But some of you know what I'm talking about. The third thing he says is he says this, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Ooh. You're telling me that someone comes to me and is rude to me, I bless them. Yeah. That's what I'm telling you. How in the world could anyone do that? Well, let me just tell you this. Jesus Christ endured every bit of that. He endured every bit, everything negative and bad someone has said about you. He said it about Jesus Christ and he experienced it. And they said it to his face. They plucked his beard, Isaiah teaches us. They spit in his face. Not one of you men in here, someone spit in your face, you wouldn't be ready to slap him in Jesus' name, of course. Like we make it think it better if we put Jesus' name to it. In Christian love, I command the demons to come out of you. <laughs> Blessing. Jesus, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus, he opened not his mouth. When they were being the most vile and wicked to him, he opened not his mouth. Being a follower of Christ is not just some cliche term and we wear the t-shirts and we sing a little bit in church and give a little bit of our money. Being a follower of Christ is denial of self. Being a follower of Christ is saying all these things that I want to do that are normal things in the flesh, I crucified, they have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, yet I live. I'm still alive on this earth. And the life I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 2.20 It's not my life. I'm living my life for Him. So I can bless when someone comes with a harsh word. Do I need to work on this? Absolutely I need to work on this. That's why I'm so angry. Angry at myself sometimes. Angry at my flesh. 
Because look at the very next phrase. Knowing that you were called to this. This is a calling from God. This is the will of God that we would focus on being rather than doing because if the being is right, the doing will be right. Knowing that it's not about me, but it's about Jesus Christ. Well, preacher, what will I get if I do that? Well, just so you know, that you may inherit a blessing. What, what, what is the blessing? It's interesting because Peter goes from here all the way back to Psalm 34 to tell us what the blessing is. Notice what he says the blessing is in verse number 10. For he who would love life and see good days. You know what the blessing that we inherit for doing this is? We enjoy life. How many of you want to really enjoy life? I mean, do you want to walk through life all the time, fussing and fighting and fuming, not getting along with everybody, being a loner, not enjoying life? Jesus Christ said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Is that the life that He came to give us? No. He gave us abundant life. And many times we don't have the abundant life because we're still trying to vindicate ourselves. Preacher, you, you, you know what? They don't... They, they said this about me. So what? You can stop it right now. Who cares? They talked about Jesus. And they called Jesus more vile and wicked things than they're calling you. If I had a dollar for every denomination around here that talked about us because of our theological stance and what we believe and what we teach, we'd build a building over and over and over. But if we got mad every time, we'd never do anything but get mad at people. But if you don't get mad, you just leave with the Lord and you continue to do right, they'll go on to someone else that they get a rise out of. You want to enjoy life and see good days? Live as Christ lived in this earth. Look what he says. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? Here's the kicker. You know why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. What you think you do and get away with in secret, you don't. His eyes are on you. When you treat someone as you should not treat them, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and you think, well, I'm right in doing it, His eyes are on you. His eyes are on you. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Listen to me, church. Jesus said this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. By this, what? Our love for each other. Our love for each other. And I think that as born again believers in Christ and knowing what we know, we've heard the Scriptures, we are not ignorant of the Scriptures, it has been taught to us, it has been given to us, the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We can be right with God in our relationships. But it starts right now, right now, with each one of us 
in our own life, examining ourselves and saying, listen, I want to be right with God. If you want to make fun of me, you make fun of me. If you want to talk about me, you talk about me. If you want to speak harshly to me, you speak harshly to me. But I want to be right with God. And I'm going to enjoy life. If you cut me down, I'm going to go around the corner and I'm going to have a Coke and a smile and I'm going to enjoy it. I don't want to drink Coke. I drink Pepsi. Well, have a Pepsi and a smile then. Listen to me. It's about quality of life. Some people are miserable and they want to take you with them. Don't go there. Don't go there. How many of us have heard our parents taught us when we were growing up, misery loves what? Oh, you know it. You know it. Don't go there. Take the high road. Follow Jesus. If you're here this morning and you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, please, friend, please, friend listen to me. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Hell was not prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, his followers. Every one of us, the Bible says, sins because we were born with a sin nature. No one had to sit you down and teach you how to sin, but I guarantee you, you are quite good at it. But the problem is, the Bible says, our sin demands a payment, and someone has to die for my sin, and someone has to die for your sin. But God demonstrated His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ said, I'll take your sin and die in your place. Every sin you would ever think, every sin you would ever do, every sin you would ever speak, Jesus Christ took it upon Himself and died on the cross. He was buried and He arose from the grave. And the Bible says that if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's it. You don't have to turn over a new leaf. You don't have to do all that. You've got to believe that Jesus died for you. He was buried and He arose from the grave. And because you're calling on His name and believing in Him, He will take you to heaven when you die. You can be saved right now, today. And you don't ever have to worry about hell again. And you too can become a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let me ask you this. If you're here this morning... You say, preacher, listen, I'm not...